This evening's scripture is taken from Psalms 116, verses 1 and 2. Psalms 116, 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We are thankful that you have chosen to come out tonight. Though it is a very cold and blustery night, but as Dio said, it's not quite as cold as it is in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thank God for the South, at least on this occasion. But I am grateful for your presence tonight, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 116. Tonight I want you to think with me for just a few moments about what God will do for you. And in a very specific way, I want us to think about three things that God will do for us as his people. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at Psalm 116. The first thing that I would suggest unto you is that God will hear your prayers. Look, if you would, at what the psalmist said in verses 1 and 2. Now, when we talk about our prayers, we're talking about our supplications to God. And so in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist said, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The psalmist here underscores the fact that he prayed to God And thus God, in return, heard his prayers. I really believe that one of the greatest blessings that we enjoy as Christians is the privilege of prayer. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To think that you and I have the ear of God. Think for a moment about individuals that will sometimes make a telephone call only to get a busy signal. Or it may be the case that they will make a call and somebody says they are unavailable by way of voicemail. And then I think about individuals that will make a telephone call And as the person on the other end of the line sees this particular number come up, they think, I can't believe they're calling me again. Seems like every time I turn around, they're dialing my number. Aren't you thankful that God's not like that? That you and I can approach the throne of God day or night, seven days a week, and he will listen to our prayers. God is very gracious to us. He has bestowed on us the privilege of prayer. But also we think about the power of prayer. The psalmist said that he loved the Lord because he heard my voice and my supplication. In Psalm 55 at verse 17, The psalmist again said, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. 
God will hear our prayers and respond accordingly. Do you remember what James said in chapter 5, verse 16 of his book? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We think about the power of prayer. Isn't it interesting when you begin to examine the life of Christ that he spent time in prayer communing with God the Father? And no doubt Jesus underscored by his example the privilege of prayer, but also the power of prayer. I'm reminded reminded of Jesus on one occasion arising early in the morning to pray to God. Before he selected the apostles, the Bible says he spent the night in prayer before he was crucified. Matthew tells us that Jesus approached the throne of God in prayer. On three occasions, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so here we have one of the great blessings that has been bestowed on us as God's people. And that is the fact that he will hear our prayers. But then there is a second thing I think we learn from our lesson text. Not only will God hear our prayers, but he will help with our problems. And here we're talking about the sorrows that we experience in this life. Now, you remember Job in the long ago said, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. In chapter 14, verse 1. We live on an earth that is replete with human suffering. There are any number of people in our world and those who belong to the body of Christ who are experiencing pain in any number of ways. But note, if you would, what the psalmist says concerning the difficulties that he faced in his life. First of all, he speaks of his troubles. Look at verse 3. The pains or cords of death encompassed me. The pangs or distresses of Sheol or the grave laid hold of me. And then he makes this statement. I found trouble and sorrow. Now sometimes we use the expression, trouble found me. Well here the psalmist said, I found trouble and sorrow. Think of all of the troubles that you and I can face in this life. Everything from illness and disease to financial reversals to the loss of a job, to problems on the job, to difficulties in school, problems within the context of our home. We face any number of troubles in life. The psalmist here said, I found trouble and sorrow. But then also, not only does he speak of his troubles, but we think about his tears. Drop down, if you would, to verse 8. He said, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears. I'm reminded in Psalm 56, where the psalmist said in the long ago, You put my tears into your bottle. Tears are a natural expression of grief and sorrow in life. And you think about all of the people in this in this life today 
that have experienced grief to the extent that they have shed tears, even today. Jesus was not immune to shedding tears. In John chapter 11, we read of the sickness and eventual death of his friend Lazarus. Mary and Martha, the brothers, or rather the sisters to Lazarus, came to Jesus. And they said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. As Jesus approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus, the Bible simply says in verse 35, Jesus wept. Tears are a part of life. And the psalmist here speaks of the tears that he experienced in this life. But then there is a third thing we see. This has to do with his trials. Drop down now, if you would, to verse 10. He said, I believed, therefore I spoke. Now listen to him. I am greatly afflicted. You have to appreciate the honesty of the psalmist on this occasion. Now bear in mind, the psalmist is writing by inspiration. But he speaks of the pain, the woes that he feels in this life. He's pouring out his heart to God. And so he says, I am greatly afflicted. I said just a moment ago that God will hear our prayers. And aren't you grateful that when you experience the various pains of life, whether those pains are troubles, whether they are reflected through tears or trials, you can approach the throne of God and literally lay it before his throne. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, let us draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so here, the psalmist speaks of his trials. He underscores it by simply stating, I am greatly afflicted. Now we think about the pain that he experienced. And I said that God will help with our problems. We want to now move from this idea of pain to the Lord's preservation of the psalmist. Look at verse 4 now. In verse 4 he said, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. When? Well, when the pains of death encompassed me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Now look at verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears. There's one thing that you and I can say about God, and that is he will interpose on our behalf. Just a moment ago, we referenced Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 16, where we are invoked to approach the throne of God. And the Bible says that God will help us in time of need. Well, that's what the psalmist found out. That God was willing to help him or to deliver him from his difficulties. But also there is another thing that we see in this text. As we think about God helping us with our problems. We've thought for a moment about his pain. 
and the fact that God will preserve. But now, note if you would, how the psalmist praises the Lord for what he's done. Look, if you would, at verse 5. Well, back up and look at verse 1, first of all. He said, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Now, step back for a moment and contemplate all of the blessings that you enjoy in this life. We think about the material things that God has lavished upon us, the physical blessings that are common to all of us, the spiritual blessings that he has endowed upon us. And we understand why James could say, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, that is, from God the Father. The psalmist said in Psalm 68, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. In light of all of these blessings, in light of the fact that the Lord has stepped in and helped in his time of need, the psalmist said, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Why do you love the Lord? John said we love him because he first loved us. We think about reciprocating that love. In light of all that God has done for us, it should spawn within us this sense of affection that we love him because of all that he has done for us. Now look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. I'm reminded of the mercy or pity that God bestows on us. Verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And so here the psalmist is pouring out his heart in praise to God. Note now, if you would, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord? For all his benefits toward me, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. Verse 16, O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. And then listen, he says, praise the Lord. Now you just think about all God has done for you in this life. Think about how God has stood beside you and stood with you, come what may. Does that not bring up within you this exaltation of praise? Here's what the Lord has done for me. And so the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord for all that he's done. It's just a natural expression. Focus, if you would, at verse 17 for a moment. He said, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. One of the characteristics of God's people is that we are to be thankful people. 
Paul said in Colossians 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And so we can be thankful to the Lord for all that he has done. So what has the Lord done for us? Number one, he will hear our prayers. Number two, he will help with our problems. Number three, he will give us hope in our passing. Look at verse 15. Now we're talking about this separation that takes place at death. James said the body without the spirit is dead. In other words, at death, the inward man and outward man are separated. The body returns to dust and the spirit to God that gave it life, according to Ecclesiastes 12 at verse 7. Look now, if you would, at verse 15. In verse 15, the psalmist said, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of a saint is a very valuable thing in the eyes of God. It is a precious commodity. What about the hope that you and I have in death? Number one, I would submit unto you that we have provisions made for us in death. A lot of times individuals are fearful as they contemplate the prospects of stepping out into eternity. Many individuals who stand on the threshold of death are concerned about this passage into eternity. And yet for the child of God, there is a sense of comfort in knowing that we're not going to have to make that passage alone. The psalmist said in Psalm 23 at verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In Luke 16, when we, re- when we read about the death of Lazarus, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in his narration of this story, that when Lazarus died, the angels bore his spirit over into that Hadean realm known as Abraham's bosom or paradise. We're going to die. Unless Jesus comes first, we're going to step outside this veil of human existence. But for the child of God, we can take comfort in knowing that we're not going to leave planet earth alone. The Lord will be with us. Number two, we have the power of over death. There is power over death. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul speaks about the resurrection of Christ. He validates that resurrection. He said that Christ appeared to a number of individuals. And he pointed out that if Christ had not been resurrected from the dead, then our Our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain. And ultimately, he said, we're still in our sins. 
But if you drop down to about verse 50 and following, he talks about how we, that is, members of the human family, will one day be resurrected from the grave. And we're going to receive an incorruptible, immortal body. But the beauty of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is in knowing that one day death will be swallowed up in victory. The psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. One day you and I are not going to be touched by death ever again. We think about the words of John in Revelation 21 verse 4. When the Bible says, and there will be no more death. Thank God that you and I will never again experience the heartache and sorrow associated with death. But then also, there are the promises that we have in death. Aren't you grateful that we have assurances about death? That when we step out into eternity, I said just a moment ago that the Lord will walk with us, as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 4. Paul talked about death in Philippians chapter 1. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23, he said to depart and be with Christ is far better. Listen to the words of John in Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. At death, one of the things that you and I have to look forward to is rest. We will be at home with the Lord. In other words, we will go to be with the Lord. We will be in that realm known as paradise. In that beautiful realm, we will be free of all of the heartaches that are known to mankind. And then also I think about the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. When he said in the long ago, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. The psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You and I, we have hope in death because you see, God will be with us. Three things that God will do for us. Tonight we ask the question, Are you living for the Lord? Are you living for him in such a way so that these promises are real to you? In other words, when we look at Psalm 116, is this a reflection of your life? When we read the Bible, when we read Scripture... We need to do so with the attitude that we're going to try to make application to our own life. If we fail to make application to our life, then we miss the thrust of the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how our lives need to intersect with the Word of God. God's Word does not need to run parallel to our life, but rather it needs to intersect with our life. And so what about you tonight? What is the Lord doing in your life? 
You think about all of the things that God has done for you. Let me ask this question. What are you doing for the Lord? What will you do for him? We talk about faith and works and how our works are an expression of our faith. You tonight could be a very important link in leading others to the Lord. You could be a very important piece of the chain in helping this congregation go forward. But in order to be a vital link in this chain, you have to first of all be one of his children. And so tonight we ask the question, are you a child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Would you be willing to make that good confession before others? That you believe that he is God's only Son? And then would you be willing to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins? In other words, when you repent and are baptized into Christ, all of your sins are washed away. And God adds you to the church, the ecclesia, the community of the saved. Once you're in the church, once you're in Christ, you're said to enjoy all spiritual blessings according to Ephesians 1, verse 3. And then the promise is, if you live faithfully until death, the Lord will bestow on you that crown of life. Does the crown of life await you? Are you living in such a way so that one day you will be among the redeemed in heaven? If not, we want to encourage you to come to Christ. If you're unfaithful to his cause, would you come home? We would be happy to pray with you and for you. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you? And the assurance is God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?